We hope that you'll spend some time today studying with us from the Word of God on one of the great subjects of soteriology called the assurance of salvation. Now, this is one of the main teachings of the New Testament of salvation by the grace of God. And it is a, such an important matter that one may say there's hardly any matter in the New Testament in regards to personal salvation that is any more important than the assurance of salvation. That is, next to being saved by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, that is, next to the new birth and regeneration which we have discussed, the most important thing is the believer knowing that he has been saved eternally and is the present possessor of an everlasting life that will never fade away, never die out, and never be taken away from him. God is not an Indian giver. He doesn't uh, give and then withdraw. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. And one of the gifts of God is eternal life, for the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this matter of assurance of salvation is of such tremendous importance that it sets apart and segregates forever the difference between Bible-believing Christianity and the world's religions, or Bible-believing Christianity and Christianity, or Bible-believing Christianity and Pentecostal charismatic experience. That is, there's a vast difference when one gets right down to it. There's a vast difference between a born-again, Bible-believing Christian knowing for certain where he's going when he dies, and the teachings of Catholicism, Judaism, Protestantism, Taoism, Buddhism, Brahmanism, Hinduism, Mohammedism, and any other ism. The thing that marks the great religion of the world is that none of their adherents know where they're going when they die. That's their outstanding mark. The outstanding mark of every religion in the world is that no adherent to that religion can produce in print an authority that gives him absolute assurance of eternal life after death in God's favor. Only to the Bible-believing Christian is it said that we are accepted in the Beloved and that we are predestinated to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And this marks forever the difference between the person who is counting on their experience and sharing their faith with peace, love, and praise the Lord and don't know for sure where they're going when they die and the born-again Bible-believing Christian whose new birth has not been based upon a fleshy experience, but is based upon the acceptance of the finished work of Jesus Christ dying on Calvary's cross. Assurance of salvation is absolutely necessary if the believer is to help others spiritually. What they call the revival of America today is the great split in the body of Christ taking place where the Christians are being taught to share an experience instead of being taught to witness about the death resurrection, and blood atonement of Jesus Christ. A man said one time in my church, some think that they are Christians, most of them hope so, some say so, and a few know they are saved. Now you can know. The Bible says, these things have written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. Salvation is a miraculous change. Has the miracle taken place in your life? Yes or no? I'm not talking about the feeling where the Holy Ghost so-called came all over you and you bubbled and blabbered and then had uh, goose pimples come out and your hair standing in and felt this wonderful thrill ever since then you've been afraid to talk negatively. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the experience where you have the sudden feeling that you're dying or that you're bleeding or that 
something is uh, causing you to come out of yourself, and then suddenly from that time on, uh, on earth, you love everybody except the people who disagree with you in doctrine. I'm not talking about that. Are you married? Are you sure? You're either married or you aren't. A man is either lost or saved. You're either in Christ or you're outside. I know I'm married because I'm living with my wife. I've taken my vows with her with an altar, and I have a marriage license that's signed and sealed by the government. How do I know I'm saved? I know I'm saved because I've confessed Christ at an altar. I'm living with him, and I have a document that's signed and sealed by the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who wrote the book. If we are in Christ, then we ought to have the full assurance of salvation. Many church people do not believe it is possible to be sure of salvation right now because their teachers and preachers are forever messing them up in Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews. So many Christians feel they're sacrilegious to say that you can know you're saved. They feel that because they've been following blind leaders of the blind who don't know where they're going themselves. When you actually consider it, what could be more sacrilegious than giving money to a minister who doesn't know where he's going when he dies? You talk about sacrilege and blasphemy, brother. You think about paying the salary of a religious leader who doesn't know where he's going when he dies to tell you how to be sure of where you're going when you die or to tell you how to prepare for death. You talk about sacrilegious blasphemy, brother. What is that? Here you are putting money into a collection plate to support a man who doesn't know where he's going to go when he dies and he's trying to tell you how to prepare for death. You talk about sacrilege, brother. That thing is psychotic. Now, if a man could be saved by works, these people would be correct to doubt the salvation, because no man could do enough works to be sure of salvation. You'd have to keep on working, and furthermore, the quality of the works would need to meet a standard, and the standard would shift. That is, you people who are counting your own works to save you, we understand why you don't know you're saved. You never will. If you're going to spend all your life in James chapter 2 and Hebrews chapter 6, you're never going to know anything for certain. The people who know they're saved are the people who are not trusting their works to save them, but are trusting the finished work of Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift, Ephesians 2.8, which a man receives, and when he does, he possesses salvation, he possesses Christ, and Christ possesses him. Not to the point of falling out of Christ's hand or... Uh, apostatizing or being given over to a reprobate mind that has nothing to do with the verses in the Bible that are talking about unsaved professors of religion. He is part of Christ's body and his bone and his flesh, Ephesians 5, and is predestinated by the coordination of God to be conformed to the exact image of Jesus Christ, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Now, these are doctrinal matters that deal with soteriology. And the reason why you find them not mentioned is because the people who want to keep everybody shifting on their experience want to keep people in bondage to themselves. When you begin to get the sound doctrine out, these people get terribly upset and accuse you of splitting the body of Christ because you're calling their attention to the fact that they themselves have not yet believed what God said. And these are the people who are going by their personal experience instead of what by God said and they consider their personal experience to be the final infallible authority and what God said to be of secondary importance. Now, God said that if you've received his Son, you are part of his body, bone, and flesh, and your final destination by the fiat and decree of God 
is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To have assurance of salvation is absolutely confident. To know that you're saved and know that if you die suddenly, you would go immediately to heaven. And this is the thing that sets off biblical Christianity from Christianity so-called. Assurance of salvation is possessing salvation, possessing the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is eternal life. It is the life of God. It is a divine life that could possibly have no ending or beginning because it had no beginning and no end. If a man possesses eternal life, he's saved. He's saved for time and saved for eternity, for the divine nature that he partakes of is eternal life. Christ said, I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any pluck them out of my hand. False as I am persuaded to be the life, nor death, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now who may have assurance of salvation? Catholics, Jews, Protestants, Taoists, Buddhists? Of course not. They're counting on their works to save them. Who may have assurance of salvation? Muslims, Taoists, Rosicrucians, Communists, Atheists, Agnostics? Of course not. They're counting on their works to save them. No man listening to my voice who is counting on his own righteousness to justify him will ever have assurance of salvation because his own conscience is a witness against him that he is not telling the truth. The Lord told Cain, if you do good, will you not be accepted? And Cain said, I'm doing the best I can. The Lord said, okay, then how come I didn't accept you? Do you know why the Lord didn't accept Cain? Because he wasn't doing the best he could. He lied about it. The best he could do was not to offer his own works, his garden vegetables, the best he could do was offer the blood. The life of the flesh was in the blood that God put in that flock he gave Abel. All Cain had to do was ask Abel for a sheep. Ask and you shall receive. He was too proud to ask for a sheep. So he said, I don't think you know anybody saved or not. You know why a man says that? because he's a lost sinner counting on his own works to justify him, and his own conscience prevents him from professing assurance, because his own conscience tells him that he has not yet offered what God required. God didn't require a cup full of liquor and a piece of bread. He required one complete, perfect, effectual blood atonement on Calvary's cross given by a sinless man, not by a sinner. Those who have received Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, may have assurance of salvation, for the Bible said, As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. In First John chapter 5, we read, These things have been written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. John 3.36 says, He that believes in the Son hath everlasting life. Then what is the basis of our assurance? Why is it that many of us born-again Bible-believing people know we're saved, and many of you who profess to believe the Bible don't know you're saved? What's the difference? Well, the difference is the basis of our assurance. Can our assurance be based on feeling? Of course not. Our feelings change. Satan might control or influence our feelings. For example... Satan might counterfeit the Holy Ghost, or he might, might counterfeit the baptism of the Spirit, or he might counterfeit the apostolic gifts. 
you're wasting your time being assured of your salvation if you're looking to your feelings. Your feelings are as flexible as the weather. Health, weather, circumstance, environment all affect our feelings. You might wake up some morning feeling like you're lost and mean absolutely nothing at all if you're really saved. And by the same token, you might wake up some morning feeling like you're saved and it would mean nothing at all if you were lost. To some people, receiving Christ is a real emotional thrill. For others, there's no feeling connected with it. People are different. Now, God has given us three things upon which to base our assurance of eternal life and eternal security. First of all, the witness of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8:16 says, The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Previous to conversion, the Spirit will have been convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come, but now his ministry has changed. In a born-again believer, the Holy Spirit speaks peace to the soul and grants an inner rest that confirms to the individual that he really belongs to Jesus Christ now. Paul says in Galatians 4, 6, And because ye are sons, God has set forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit is a witness to the believer that he is part of God and God is part of him. Secondly, we base our assurance on what God said, the Word of God. This is the most infallible, unchangeable thing. And this is why all people who doubt their salvation have more than one translation of the Bible. This is why all people who want to base their salvation on their experience instead of what God said never have one record of what God said. They have about a dozen records that conflict. This is why in the last days the body of Christ will not endure sound doctrine, but will heap to itself teachers having itching ears and turn away from the truth and be turned into fables. The Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he spoken and shall he not do it? Hath he said it and shall he not make it good? Yes, he'll make it good. Now, people are strange. If I were to tell you that I was going to be at your church for a revival meeting on Friday night or Saturday night, and the pastor told you people the same thing, you'd believe us. On no other basis than we said it. And yet I might get killed in an accident before the time came. The Lord might come before the time came. The pastor might resign the church before the time came. A dozen things could interfere from either of us fulfilling our word to you. And yet you'd believe it. And yet some of you people who believe that would not believe God when he said, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John 5:10, He that believeth in the Son of God hath the witness in himself. If the devil comes and tempts you to doubt your salvation, put your finger on what God said. Say to the devil, the word of God says, if I believe in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. On March the 14th, 1949, at 10.30 in the morning, I believe on Jesus and receive him. Therefore, I have eternal life. I am saved. My sins are forgiven. I'm on my way to heaven, and I'm going to make it by the grace of God. Now, that's the New Testament teaching. You say, what about that scripture that says, well, the devil quoted that one to you, didn't he? So about that scripture that says, all unsaved preachers will try to talk you out of it. Don't you understand that? Don't you understand the devil quoted the scripture to Jesus Christ in Luke 4? Don't you understand there is an unsaved elder, unsaved bishop, or unsaved priest, or unsaved preacher in this country who can't quote scripture to teach a lie? Don't you understand that? 
Folks say, well, how I know you're not quoting a scripture to teach a lie yourself. You don't unless you check what I'm saying. I'm quoting you those things here that are taken out of the dispensation in which you're living, that are written by the apostle to the Gentiles, that deal with the born-again people in the body of Christ. I'm not quoting you pastors written to the twelve tribes of Israel in the book of James. I'm not quoting pastors you on professors of religion who have cleaned up their lives but haven't received Christ in Second Peter 2. I'm not quoting you pastors written to Hebrews in the tribulation from Hebrews chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. These pastors deal with a born-again believer who has received Jesus Christ in this age. John 5, 24, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, hath, present tense, hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Paul said in Acts 13, 39, And by him all that believe are justified from all things. Is that clear? He said, I just don't see how. He didn't have any sense to start with. You always did think you were smarter than God. Many Christians are like that. I don't care how clear you show them from the verses given by the apostle to the Gentiles of the body of Christ and the born-again Gentile believer, they would rather go to hell in Acts 2.38 than go to heaven in Acts 13.39. There are Christians listening to my voice right now that would rather go to hell down in the salvation of the Sermon on the Mount and 1 Corinthians 13 than go to heaven on John 5, 24 and Ephesians 2. I mean, that's how it goes. Why, these days, almost anybody professes to be a Christian. And they don't have any regard for what God said at all. You can turn that radio you're listening to and hear a fellow get up Thirty times today, and say the Bible says, and quote something that is no more a Bible than a city index. In Luke seven forty eight, Jesus said to the woman, "Thy sins are forgiven." We're told in uh, Galatians chapter one fourteen, in whom we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Paul says in Romans ten thirteen, "Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." In First John three fourteen, we. The Bible says one assurance of salvation is we know we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. We love every other born-again, saved, blood-washed child of God. That doesn't mean we love and are uh, associated with or connected with every person who professes the new birth. These are the brethren, not professing Christians. Well, anybody knows that profession is often a counterfeit, Christ said about some people that talk about doing everything in the name of Jesus. He says, in that day, you're going to say, Lord, we've done many wonderful works in my name, and I'm going to say to them, depart me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. The born-again Bible-believing Christian is a new creature in Christ, and this is manifested in new affections, new likes, new dislikes, new loves, and new hatreds. It isn't just new loves. New hatreds are also included. If you don't hate right now some of the things that you used to love before you were saved, you have good reason to lack assurance or doubt the assurance of your salvation. Now, since the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are so clear that it is possible to have the assurance of salvation, why is it that 80% of professing Christians don't know where they're going when they die? Well, number one, many of them listen to the devil's accusations. Number two... 
many of them doubt the Word of God. And number three, many of them don't doubt the Word of God, but pervert the Word of God. There are people in your town which you live that will insist on works as a part of their salvation by quoting James 2. And they will trust that you'll never check to see who James is written to, so you never find out the devilment they're up to. Now, if you have a living Bible, you can't find out who James is written to, because the living Bible in James 1.1 has changed the verse and made it written to people to whom it was not written. If you have a living Bible, you'll find that the Scriptures have been perverted to say that the book was written to save Jews or Christian Jews. It wasn't anything of the kind. There isn't one Greek manuscript known in the history of manuscript evidence that ever said James was written to save people. James 1.1 1, 1 said it was written to the twelve tribes of Israel. The twelve tribes of Israel are not all saved. You see what I mean? I mean, you're an unsaved preacher, elder, priest, or bishop, or apostle, so-called, or evangelist, stand up and say, faith without works is dead. You see how a man is justified by works, not by faith only. You're dealing with a man who is trying to pull a verse out of the context, trusting you won't check it in to see where he got it from. And you keep right on doubting your salvation with him. Let me ask you something. Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Now, that's the question. The other questions can be gotten around. For example, if I said if you believed on Christ, Somebody could run to Acts chapter 8 and show that Simon the sorcerer believed and wasn't saved, you see. If I said belief in baptism like a Campbellite, somebody could point to Acts chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 26 and call to your attention the fact that Judas Iscariot believed and was baptized and had the apostolic sign and still went to hell. See, there are all kinds of ways to get around it. Judas believed, repented, and confessed and was baptized and went to hell, you'll find he repented in Matthew chapter 27, verse 1 to 4. You'll find he believed as an apostle in Matthew chapter 10, verse 1 to 4. Your time, you'll find that he confessed the innocent blood, confessing that Christ's blood was pure and right in Matthew 27, and Christ wouldn't take an apostle who didn't submit to John at baptism. So when you talk about belief, confession, repentance, and so forth and so on as a plan of salvation, you're talking about a system which can be gotten around by the devil and often has been gotten around. But when you talk about receiving Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, that's something else. The Bible says, As many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God. There is no way in our God's heaven that you can receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and not be saved. Have you done that? I didn't say receive the sacrament. I said... Have you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Your personal Savior. I didn't say as Savior. I said as your personal Savior. The one to save you because of your need to be saved by a Savior. Now, you know why some of you folks doubt your salvation? Because you were never saved to start with. You went out of the altar and took something and experience something, you spent the rest of your life talking about the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Let me ask you this. Did you receive Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior?
do you truly believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior? Now, if you can answer a definite yes to both questions, then on the basis of the Word of God, you are saved whether you know it or not, appreciate it or not, feel like it or not, enjoy it or not. It is not a presumption to believe the Word of God. It is a presumption not to believe God. And when God says you're saved, it is sinful wickedness on your part to call God a liar. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 to 13, He that believeth not the record that God gave of his Son maketh him a liar. And this is the record that God hath given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that believeth not the record hath made God a liar. Can you imagine a more sacrilegious, blasphemous, unholy sin than calling God Almighty a liar? Well, there are people in your town that have three-quarter length sleeves and have hair down the middle of the back that don't wear makeup and wouldn't think of wearing slacks that would make God a liar just as quick as look at him. The reason why people doubt the salvation is primarily failure to trust the Word of God. If you're truly saved, you must pray that God will increase your faith and help you to believe what the Bible says. And going from one translation to another isn't going to help you a bit. After all, if they're all authority and they all deny each other and contradict each other, that leaves you right where you were before with no authority but your own noodle. A liberal education often undermines faith in the Bible. Christian education often, often undermines faith in the Bible. There's hardly a Christian college or university in America where you can go today where you won't be taught that there's more than one authority and those authorities conflict in 30,000 places. There are 30,000 differences between the New American Standard Version and the King James Bible. There are 36,000 changes between the RV and the ASV and the King James Bible. Nothing will undermine your faith in the authority of the Word of God any quicker than an education, Christian or otherwise, that teaches you to doubt the Word of God. And again, worldliness can cause people to lack assurance of salvation. When you get worldly, it'll choke out your desire for God and for His Word and prayer. You begin to doubt the promises of God. Then spiritual drowsiness. Often Christians fall asleep and lose both their joy and assurance of salvation. Now, nothing said about losing salvation, but you can certainly lose the joy of your salvation, and you can lose the assurance of your salvation. Now, the cure is simple. Don't try to serve two masters. Don't try to serve God in the world, and don't try to serve two authorities, an ASV and a new ASV, a King James and an RSV, a living Bible and a new English Bible, a living letters and dead epistles of Charlie Brown and Mickey Mouse and Moffat, Weymouth, Goodspeed, Maggie and Jiggs and the Green Hornet. Get one book that says what God said as he said it and believe what God said as he said it where he said it. Yield your life to him. Pray, Lord, search my heart. See if I possess salvation. If I am truly saved, pray, Lord, help me never to doubt the plain statements of the Bible about my salvation. Pray if I'm not saved, O oh Lord, take away a false security. I want to know the truth. Assurance of salvation will make you a much stronger Christian. Assurance of salvation is not presumption or pride, or the one saved preachers will say this. It is simply believing what God said as God said it where he said it. To say, I know I am saved, requires humility, for it can only be done by God's grace and mercy. And when you say you know you're saved, 
you have confessed that you're not good enough to get to heaven by your own works, and that but for the grace of God, you'd be in hell. The proud man is the man who says, I hope I'm saved, because he is counting on his works to save him. And when he says, I hope I'm saved, he is implying that his own good works have some part in his salvation. They don't. It is God who saves me. It is God who keeps me. It is God who will get me to hold to heaven. It is God who will conform me to the image of his Son. The work is of the Lord. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God forbid that any of us should boast, save in the cross of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by whom we are crucified to the world, and the world is crucified to us. On next week's broadcast, we'll take up further subjects in the uh, study of soteriology. Our subject next week at the same time will deal with public confession, confession of Jesus Christ.